It seems that although overall vaccine exemptions remain relatively stable, the number of exemptions for non-medical reasons has risen in recent years. There is a group of people who delayed, are reluctant, or refuse vaccinations. They are called vaccine-hesitant, and their numbers are on the rise. So much so that the World Health Organization has recognized vaccine hesitancy as a global concern. I'm Dr. Diane Kelso, Deputy Editor for CMAJ, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Noni McDonald, Professor of Pediatrics at Dalhousie University with a clinical appointment in pediatric infectious diseases at the IWK Health Centre in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Dr. McDonald and her colleague Eve Dubay have published a commentary in CMAJ outlining concerns and strategies to address vaccine hesitancy and refusal in Canada. Well, Noni, you say that Canada has a vaccine hesitancy problem. Could you please explain what you mean by that? Well, let me go back first to explain what vaccine hesitancy is, because the term has been used in many different ways. But the World Health Organization has defined it as the delay in acceptance or refusal of vaccines despite availability of vaccine services. So you don't have hesitancy if you can't actually get at the vaccines because they're not there at the clinic. But you do have hesitancy when they're available and parents are not coming forward to get their kids immunized. We in Canada knew that we had a hesitancy problem because not every child is getting immunized, but we didn't really have hard numbers to know exactly how much hesitancy there was until this nice study by Wilson and colleagues from the Public Health Agency in Ontario. And what they showed was that although vaccination exemptions were under 2.5% for kids going to school, when you went and looked at those exemptions over the 10-year period, fewer of them were due to medical reasons to be exempted. You know, you're immunocompromised, you've got cancer, some reason why you can't get immunized. And more of them were becoming philosophical exemptions. And that's not an encouraging thing because it's the philosophical exemptions, or I just don't want to get my kid immunized exemptions, are the hesitancy piece. Well, what should Canada be doing then and what should doctors be doing as well in their practices about this issue beyond simply just educating their patients? Well, I think there's really two different kinds of things that we need to be thinking about. At the national level, the World Health Organization has suggested that we need to have a program to really address what needs to be done for hesitancy. They had eight different recommendations that they've made in their report that came out last November. And most of those recommendations are things that we would all understand. In other words, we need to be measuring hesitancy. We need to be looking to find out what are the groups that are hesitant, what are their concerns. We need to be tailoring interventions to fit those specific concerns, things like that. And we need to be doing education around hesitancy and how best to address it for healthcare providers. At the individual level, healthcare workers need to understand that when somebody's hesitant, you need to find out why they're hesitant because it's not all one and the same thing. Sometimes it's a confidence issue. They're worried about the safety of the vaccine. They're worried because it's a new vaccine. It's not been used before. They're worried because they think their child's too young, too small, too little to get vaccines. You have to understand what the concern is and then address it. We also know that how a healthcare worker presents immunization very much influences how it will be taken up. So if you're a hesitant person, Diane, which I know you're not, around (laughs) immunization, and you are coming to see me as a pediatrician with your child to get immunized, and we start the conversation with my saying, your daughter 
Sarah needs to be immunized today, what would you like to know about this vaccine? Is very different. That's called presumptive. You know, I've already sent my message to you to say, we're going to do this as opposed to the participatory where you would come in and say, well, let's talk about shots today. Study that was done that came out a couple of years ago from the Northwest United States. When you do the presumptive way of presenting it, more than 70% of vaccine hesitant parents will actually take the vaccine. When you do the participatory, let's just talk about vaccines, under 10% uptake. Wow, that is a huge difference. So we need to teach people about how to present and how to discuss. Then I call it the tell, don't ask strategy. (laughs) And then of course, um, pain mitigation is really important. We know it doesn't matter what country this, this has been looked at globally. Parents are really concerned about the pain that babies have and young children have with their immunized. Uh, with the injection. And we know that there are adults, at least 10%, and probably closer to 20% of adolescents who are afraid of needles because pain was not addressed at the time of immunization. And there are great strategies that actually were recently out in CMAJ that tell you what you can do as a practitioner to help decrease that pain at immunization, make it a much more acceptable event, and really help parents not be so afraid to have their kids immunized, help adolescents deal with their fear, and help adults who are getting immunized deal with their fear as well. Well, I think that's a really good point, because with the number of vaccinations, I know my daughter, you know, when she was in the grade 7, 8, 9, the number of immunizations she had to have Um, And she's in a group of girls and they're all freaking out. Um, You can understand why they're not too keen on getting immunizations later in life. So I think that's really huge. And at, at the end of the podcast, I'll let listeners know how to get those recommendations. And we need to tell kids because they want to know what they can do about their pain. Just like any of us, you know, it can't just be information that we hide from them. One of the other issues that really, I, in talking, having healthcare workers talk to parents, is you diagnose, as I said earlier, what the problem is. So if it's a safety problem they're concerned about, we need to talk about the vaccine safety system. And there are eight different components in Canada's vaccine safety system. And most people don't know that it's a safer system than for drugs. And most parents don't know that either. If that's the problem, then you need to talk about it with the parent. You don't go and do that if that's not what the problem is, but you need to fit what you're talking about to them. One of the other issues that I think is important in talking to them is the kind of language you use. We get all tripped up with a lot of jargon and a lot of use of uh, different ways of presenting information. And we often make it inaccessible to the parent. So one of the things I do with teaching is I'll say to somebody, So you want to tell them the relative risk of this vaccine and this vaccine preventable disease and these side effects. Can you define relative risk for me in the next 30 seconds? And I've never met a healthcare worker who could do it. So why do you think a parent understands that? What we need to do is present the information in a way they can understand. So one of the things I like to do is have a little picture of a thousand little stick men. And if 10% of children who get tetanus die, even if you have ICU care, of those thousand, I X out that hundred. And then it becomes really visually obvious to people what's happening. And then we don't like negatives. We're always afraid of negatives. And the marketing people out there really know this well. So let me ask you, which hamburger do you want? A 25% fat hamburger, 75% lean? Well, they're both the same hamburgers. 
But what do we do when we present vaccines to people? We'll tell them it has less than 1% side effects. That's presenting it in a negative way. And what we should say, it's over 99% safe. You hear that very differently. And yet that's not how we talk. And we need to think about these kinds of strategies that we know help people understand and hear us. And then the last piece is, there's now studies that have shown it's very important that you tell stories about the vaccine-preventable diseases, either patients you personally as a practitioner have cared for. I looked after a child with tetanus when I was a pediatrician in Ottawa. Um, or other cases that you hear from other people. Because telling those real stories helps that stick for parents and helps make it much more real. How we discuss with parents' needs to be taught to healthcare workers. It's not something necessarily we spontaneously know. So part of programs that we need to see at the provincial and national level are real training in how to have healthcare workers deal well with hesitancy at the front line. So you're really talking about that, not only just for practicing physicians, but we're talking about helping medical students, giving medical students and residents the tools to be able to use this in their later practices as well. Exactly. You know, the same thing about framing the piece I told about the hamburgers. This is important to use for almost everything we do. I don't know, because I'm not a family practitioner, but when somebody's presenting that they think it's important for somebody to go on statins, do they present it and frame it in the way that people are best going to hear this? Or do they use the negative way? Well, that's a really good point. One thing that I found in my practice, I don't know if you remember in the, in the old Canadian immunization guide books, they had the graphs showing the decline in vaccine yeah. preventable diseases. I found that very helpful for my parents who were vaccine hesitant. Show them that and show them when the vaccine came in and, and the huge drop in illness. Well, Diane, that's exactly it. Visuals really help, not just the words hammering at somebody. Um, and, and we do need to do this. The other thing in, in clarity of language, again, is it's very important that people understand risk when we present it, because if somebody says there's a 1% chance of this side effect, what does that 1% mean? So if there's a 10% chance of dying, if you get tetanus, even in the ICU, it doesn't mean you're a 10% dead. It means you're either dead or you're not dead. And often that absolute difference is not understood by the general public. They don't get that you're all or nothing. You're either pregnant or you're not. It's either raining or it's not. You're either dead or you're alive. And you do have to explain that for them to really understand it. Now, you were just at the General Council for the Canadian Medical Association. Was there any discussion there around immunization? There were some motions that were put forward around immunization. Uh, I have to say I was a bit disappointed because a number of the motions were really quite simplistic and are not actually going to lead to changes in outcomes. And some of them aren't even measurable, like things that you could see if we did this, what would you expect out the other end? But it was heartening to me that immunization actually made it onto the general council floor because vaccines are such an important part of public health. In the past 100 years, between 1900 and 1999, in Canada, we gained 30 years of increased survival. And 25 of those 30 years are only due to three things, clean water and sanitation, immunization, and to a lesser extent, antibiotics. Everything else we did to improve healthcare got us only five more years of increased survival. That's so if incredible. we don't get the vaccines right, we're going to go backwards. And that whole piece of all the time that was spent, for example, it was great discussion on the whole question about assisted uh, dying. 
we need that kind of a conversation to happen around immunization at CMA if we're actually going to move the CMA forward and pushing that forward. So great that it got there, but wasn't there in the depth and breadth that I would have hoped if they really were serious about trying to support immunization in Canada. Well, I think as a profession and in the country, I think we'd gotten complacent actually about vaccine preventable diseases. And until you see these outbreaks, sometimes it's hard to be able to put the focus in. So I think that's a really good point. Well, and you know, parents are the same way. Complacency is one of the things that can undermine, that that can give hesitancy and undermine acceptance. Oh, this isn't that important. I've got more things I need to do. I need to go get the library books, get the groceries. I don't really need to take my baby to get the immunization. I could do that maybe next week, maybe next month, maybe next year. And then obviously, as we're seeing, particularly with unimmunized communities, um, refugees, new immigrants coming in that haven't been immunized, and we see these outbreaks, then everybody starts to pay attention. Well, and the other piece to that in the Wilson paper, which other people have seen in other hesitancy studies, but very important in the Wilson paper, they showed that all the geographic areas in Ontario were not all equal with respect to these vaccination exemptions. So there are pockets where there are more of them and pockets where there are less. And that's the whole point is hesitancy isn't uniform. And so one of the concepts we know is if we're going to protect against many of these vaccine preventable diseases, we need really high levels of community immunity, or as we used to call it in the past, herd immunity, where you the whole community is up over 90, 95% immunized so that it just doesn't break out within the community. So you saw the measles outbreak in Quebec related to Disneyland was in a community that did not have community immunity. They did not have high enough levels of immunization. Well, Noni, thank you so much for joining me today to talk about this important issue. You're welcome. I've been speaking with Dr. Noni McDonald, Professor of Pediatrics at Dalhousie University with a clinical appointment in Pediatric Infectious Diseases at the IWK Health Centre in Halifax, Nova Scotia. To read the commentary she co-authored, visit cmaj.ca. CMAJ has also published a clinical practice guideline on mitigating pain and immunization that addresses one aspect of vaccine hesitation. For the guideline and the accompanying podcast, visit cmaj.ca.